the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the second chapter. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel." And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew strong and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. I was reading recently of the increasing popularity of cosmetic surgery amongst people we used to call senior citizens, but now that I'm 62, I'm looking for a new tag because these these are people my age, as it turns out, and a little older. But I was reading about the increasing popularity of cosmetic surgery amongst people 65 and older, which included reading about a a woman named Phyllis Porter who uh, had had a facelift and Botox injections and lip resculpting, I do not know what that is, and a chemical peel, and I do not know what that is, and finally breast implants, I have some idea what that is, and she had all of that done at 82. She said, I think that people think that 80-year-olds should be picking out their cemetery lots and thinking about dying and how many pills they're taking until then. I don't want to think about cemetery lots, she said. I want to think about living. Besides, she said, there wasn't any point in waiting until I got any older, And I'm not getting any younger. Well, true that. None of us are getting any younger, though. We are, though, statistically speaking, living longer. Some scientists claim that the limits to that are almost limitless. 
Indeed, there's a Dr. Aubrey de Grey is an author and a biological gerontologist. He claims that aging is just another biological disease and that it's a disease that can be cured. He makes the claim, science is so close to discovering the cure to the disease of aging that the first human ever to live to be 1,000 has already been born. Now, he might be nuts, but let's suppose that's true. <laughs> suppose there's a child born on this earth. She's living now. She's born this year, and she's going to be 1,000. She's going to live to the year 3017. It would be like someone alive today who was born 500 years before the Reformation, whose 500th anniversary we just observed. Think of all the changes that that person would have seen from the year 1017 until now. And then factor in the changes that are happening now faster than changes have ever changed in the history of human history. And imagining a life a thousand years from now, well, to me this would be inconceivable. Princess Bride fans, I know what the word means. <laughs> I wonder um, how attitudes would change if we started living that long. If people started living to be a thousand, do you suppose that if someone died at 600 that we would feel cheated because we lost them too young? Would we say we didn't have enough time? Is there ever enough time? I wonder, given the chance to live longer, if people would use that as a chance to live better. I don't like to be the cynic amongst us, but I'm not convinced we would because I think human history just makes way too strong a case to back up our Lutheran liturgy's observation that we humans are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves, which leads me to the belief that given 10 or 15 times as many years to live, we would probably just prove that point 10 or 15 times more clearly. But I don't know that. I imagine that. And ultimately, of course, all any of us can do is imagine when it becomes to things like that, because no one, at least none of us, knows for certain what the future holds. But as we come to the end of an old year, and the beginning of a new year, I'd like to suggest that this much is certain. The most important measure of a life is not made by a yardstick called quantity, but rather by a yardstick called quality. In other words, what matters most ultimately is not how many years we have, but what we do with the years we have. In other words, what matters most ultimately is not how long we live, but how well we live. Which takes us to the day, the day before the beginning of a new year, six days after the birthday of the one who lived on earth a mere 33 years and changed the world. The gospel lesson we heard today, six days after this year's Christmas, is a story of something that Luke says took place about a month after the very first Christmas. We read about it there in Luke 2, where it says that when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem 
to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now to understand this scene, you need to understand that Jewish law, and people sometimes forget that Mary and Joseph and Jesus weren't Christians, right? They were Jews, they weren't Christians yet. And Jewish law said that when a mother's firstborn son was 30 days old, he was to be brought to the temple and presented to God. And at that time, an offering was given to God in which the mother and father symbolically bought the child back from God and made him their own. It's called redemption of the firstborn. The word redemption is basically on the word redeem. The word redeem meaning to pay for like when you take cans and bottles to a redemption center and they pay you for them. In Jewish law, mom and dad redeemed their firstborn son through an offering. They symbolically paid for their firstborn son. It was their way of acknowledging that the child belonged to God. And God alone has the power to give life. And so Mary and Joseph, with their one-month-old babe in arms, go to the temple in Jerusalem to do what all Jewish parents did, take their, give their son back to God, and then redeem him by making an offering, a sacrifice to the God from whom all life comes. In Luke 2, that's what it said they did, and that's when it says it happened. In the temple was an old man, although Luke doesn't say how old he was, What he does tell us is that he was righteous and devout and that upon him the Holy Spirit rested. And his name was Simeon. And Luke says that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw with his very own eyes the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, whom God had promised to God's people. And as Mary and Joseph came to the temple that day, they walked past him and the spirit stirred within old Simeon's heart and he spiritually knew and his heartbeat quickened. And he reached out to Mary as she walked by and he stopped her and he took that child in his wrinkled old arms and he looked at that child with his tired old eyes, eyes which in just this moment were young again and then without even without even taking his gaze from that child, he said, Lord, now I can go in peace. For with my own eyes, I have seen the salvation you have prepared for your people. And Mary and Joseph, Luke says, were amazed at what was being said about their little boy. But then it says, then it says, old Simeon turned his gaze and his eyes met and locked on Mary's eyes. And the tone of his voice changed from one of joyful thanksgiving to one of more ominous foreboding because the spirit had stirred again in the heart of this old prophet and he saw something and felt something and prophetically knew something and looking Mary in the eye he told her what he knew. He said this child is, is a sign who will be opposed, opposed by many. And a sword will pierce your soul too. To pick up where we left off 7 o'clock Christmas Eve, 
Mary, did you know? Did you know what old Simeon was telling you then? Did you know what the Spirit of God gave Simeon the ability to see then? Did did you know that he was telling you that loving this child would not only fill your heart full, it would also break it? Did you know that in a moment of vision, old Simeon was telling you that a cross was coming and that your son would be on it and that you, with heart pierced the way only her child's pain can pierce a mother's heart, you, with heart broken, would be weeping beneath it? This child... Simeon said to Mary as he looked her in the eye, this child is a sign who will be opposed by many and a sword will pierce your soul too. Indeed it would. And that's when another old prophet, a woman named Anna, whom Luke does tell us her age, says she was 84 years old, She had never left the temple since her husband had died after they'd only been married for seven years. She came up to all of them and somehow, by God, she knew. And just as two other women of faith in Luke's telling of the story, Mary and her kinswoman Elizabeth had praised and worshipped God when they were told that they would miraculously have a child, old and faithful Anna now praised and worshipped God as she held in her arms this child. And she spoke of him to all who would listen and all who were waiting, says Luke, as they looked for the redemption of Israel. Redeeming, redemption. Anna, like Simeon, knew. Oh Mary, did you know too? Did you know that this child whom you and Joseph had just redeemed with a sacrifice of two pigeons was in fact coming to redeem you and us and all people with the sacrifice of his own life? Well, as I said on Christmas Eve, we don't know what exactly Mary, Jesus' mother, knew. We do know, however, what God, Jesus' Father, knew. God the Father knew and gave to Simeon and Anna that day to know also. God the Father knew that his son had not come to earth just to be a cute little baby in a manger. He had come to be a redeemer on a cross. A redeemer who would buy us back from the power of evil by taking upon himself every evil thing that power can do. God the Father knew that this child wouldn't live on earth to the ripe old age of a thousand. This child, God's child, would live only to the way too young age of 33. Why? Because he was coming to live life perfectly not when measured by a yardstick of what is long, but rather by a yardstick of what is good. 
This child, God's child, was coming to stand for what is good, to live for what is good, to die for what is good, and to do it not just as one of us, but also for us. In order to save us from a disease not called aging, but rather to save us from a disease called sin. And both Anna and Simeon that day had a vision of that. They were given God by God to know something of what would happen because of that. And dear Mary that day, a teenage mother, was forebodingly warned of that. She was given on his 30-day birthday an inkling of what might happen in just more than 30 years from that day. But God the Father, God the Father knew that everything that would happen, and his son knew too. Not right at that moment, but long before that moment, before he chose to wrap himself in an infant's flesh, he knew that he could skip the cross and stay right where he was and live forever and without pain with angels and with his father and the glories of heaven, except if he made that choice, he saw something else too. He knew that forever in that case would be without you. And that thought, even in the joy and splendor of heaven, pained his heart, and so he set the glory aside. He chose flesh and blood. He chose flesh and blood. He chose a manger on his way to a cross where he himself would be the sacrifice who would redeem you. Phyllis Porter, at 82, had no wrinkles. One day, says Dr. Aubrey Dubray, a technology may leave our grandchildren wrinkle-free to the age of 1,000. That child in the manger didn't live long enough to wrinkle. At the age of 33, his unwrinkled hands and feet and side would be pierced by Roman spikes and spears. And I dare you to name a length of, of life of any length that has accomplished more for the cause of everything that is good. Which takes us back to today, six days after we've celebrated his birth, one day before we welcome the gift of a new year. It's time for resolutions. The new year, every new year is God's gift to you. What you do with it can be your gift to God. Go ahead and make some resolutions to drop some pounds. Lord help me, I'm going to give it a try. Lower your cholesterol. Maybe live a little longer. But don't forget to give thought and prayer to at least a few resolutions to live better. And by better, I mean better in the eyes of God and for God's sake. And as a way of maybe thinking and praying your way toward what those resolutions might sound like, I, I give you a question to end the old year and begin the new year with, if you've got the courage to do it anyway, because to, to ask, answer this question truly requires courage. Talking about this question, Jesus, the Redeemer, 
came to do all that he would do out of his belief that you are worth dying for. This year, what will you set out to do because you believe he is worth living for? Your answer to that question might be thought of as your way of redeeming the new year, claiming it as a gift from God by offering to God the gift of yourself. Amen.